On this episode of Larry the Golf Guy, we talk with Kevin Heaney, who recently retired uh, after a nearly 40-year career at the SCGA, including the last 17 years as executive director. Kevin um, is uh, very well known throughout the world of golf um, for his just impeccable leadership of the SCGA, and we talk about how he first got to the SCGA in 1984 um, and uh, some of his early uh, roles with the organization before becoming executive director in 2006. And we talk about how the SCGA works um, and uh, the services it provides, um, the relationship it has with the USGA, and some of the many accomplishments um, that uh, happened um, under Kevin's leadership, um, including the SGA's merger with a number of other golf associations, including the Public Links Golf Association, um, among others, uh, and um, the formation of the Junior Golf Foundation, um, just many, many things um, that happened under his stellar leadership. And then we take a brief look ahead at the future of the SCGA and other allied golf associations. So up next on this edition of Larry the Golf Guy, Kevin Heaney, longtime executive director of the Southern California Golf Association. Well, welcome to another edition of Larry the Golf Guy. And I am so pleased today to be joined by longtime executive director, recently retired executive director of the SCGA, Kevin Haney. Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thanks for having me, Larry. I appreciate it. So um, just to sort of um, give people a little bit of context, um, maybe going back to the beginning and talking about where you grew up, I know it was in Northern California, I think in the San Bruno area, maybe talk about kind of your sporting uh, life uh, as you started out, because I know you were more of a baseball guy and and ended up getting into golf uh, in high school, but maybe talk about how all that uh, unraveled and happened. I came from a very sporting family. My father was a native San Franciscan. He played three sports, was all city in a couple of them uh, oh, wow. in high school. He wow. played college basketball at USF. Uh, my my younger brother played three sports in college, actually. Um, wow. and, uh, just an unbelievable athlete. Um, I, I wasn't nearly as good as those two, but uh, I was I was serviceable. Uh, but I played basketball, baseball, football, kind of the traditional sports. But then in college, I was actually on the crew. I rode uh, for UC Davis. So oh, wow. um, I, I did that. I took up golf. My dad, um, you know, again, having played all those sports, gravitated uh, towards golf, as as we all do, I think, when we can't play those sports anymore. Um, <laughs> and, and, and took it on with a passion, just loved golf. And and so as a little guy, he would take me out with his friends. We played Harding Park in San Francisco. Yeah, sure. Um, and we'd be out there. It's not nearly as uh, it wasn't as nearly as nice as it is now. And that sounds uh, like that was the pre-Sandy Tatum renovation. It was definitely the pre-Sandy Tatum. <laughs> you could lose your ball in the fairway because there were daisies growing up and white daisies growing up in the fairway. But uh, uh, but it was an exceptional golf course. And and, and I was so fortunate because my dad took me along, you know, with a cutoff club and hit a few balls here and there. And he always told me if I ever wanted to take up the game, he'd you know, get me lessons. And I was still playing baseball through most of high school. But when I got to my last couple of years, um, I think some of the weather had something to do with it. Um, I was ready for a new sport. And so I actually took my first lessons up at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I got to be, you know, somewhat handy with the game. Um, but when I went away to college, none of my friends played. So I didn't have the opportunity to play as much as I, I would have needed to to kind of keep any kind of skill set up. Uh, but then when I came back and I ended, eventually ended up working for the SCGA, that's actually when I kind of really embraced the game for the first time. Uh, but um, it was, it was you know, uh, it was a great upbringing. Uh, Bay Area was a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, UC yeah. Davis was a great place to go to college. I, I went there undergraduate and graduate school. And, um, you know, um, so I was very fortunate in that respect. So let's talk about that in terms of UC Davis, um, in terms of your undergraduate. I know you got uh, your undergraduate degree in agricultural economics, managerial science, and 
Before we get to the SCGA, I'm sort of interested in the jobs you had in between. Sounds like you dabbled a little bit in broadcasting, sold some stuff. What was what, what was your first jobs out of college? Yeah, I mean, when I got out of college, um, there were some, you know, when, when you're an ag econ, and ag econ is basically an ag equivalent of business at UC Davis. Um, and, and in fact, um, you had to take a number of ag courses. And when I went into my first farm practices class and I saw all the guys with the uh, Massey Ferguson and the John Deere hats, yeah. I knew I was, I was, I needed to get out of there. So <laughs> I took more environmental horticulture and uh, viticulture and enology, winemaking and wine tasting and wine ah, grape growing and wow. that kind of thing. Okay. So, so those were actually very interesting, a lot of science. Uh, but when I got out, um, I was looking for a job. I ended up starting with Stanley Tools. Okay. Um, and I was uh, in sales with them in sales support. Uh, I was up in the Northwest. I live in Seattle uh, okay. for a couple of years. Um, it, it just, it, it wasn't a, a great experience for me. Uh, it was good in many ways. I learned a lot, but I just wasn't necessarily interested in sales at that time. Uh, so I left. Um, I decided I was going to try to get into communications management. Uh, so I actually went out and took some courses and got a, uh, FCC, uh, first class license, which you needed to do to be able to run a radio station at the time. Wow. Um, and I did some work in radio, um, a little bit, uh, you know, on air, um, not easy to do by the way. Uh, and I wasn't particularly good at it. Uh, and I, and I decided that, uh, and, and I remember going in to see, talking to the top, uh, morning, uh, disc jockey in uh seattle and i remember asking him about it and he said uh, well first of all i'm a radio personality and i said oh, okay and um and, and 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 then he said you you haven't been in this job until you've been fired three or four times and you've been divorced twice and i said okay that's a job oh, I want. wow, wow. Uh, <laughs> so, and i'm sure that wasn't universally true but he was perhaps a little jaded at that point um but i i decided uh that wasn't a path i was going to pursue and i uh, that's when i went back to graduate school and um, got an MBA. I was actually in Davis's first uh, business school um, right. class. And right. when I came out, people were looking to put me back into sales and I was more interested in marketing. My father was a member of the NCGA at the time and okay. they didn't have a magazine, but they had a newsletter. And I was reading it one day and a gentleman had a, a company up in Marin County that did economic feasibility studies for golf course developments. Uh, remember when we were still building golf courses, Larry? Yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, <laughs> and I went in and visited with him. He was a, a wonderful guy. And we spent all afternoon. And he said, look, I don't have any openings in my company. But he says, I know some folks in the industry. I'd like to call on your behalf. Nice. So I actually interviewed. I inter yeah, it was very nice. Uh, and I interviewed with NCGA. They didn't have an opening. They just hired a tournament guy. And then I interviewed with SCGA, and SCGA was creating for the first time uh, a specific tournament position. Uh, prior to that, everybody was kind of a generalist. You know, somebody would run a couple tournaments, do a couple ratings, do some things here and there and whatever. And then when I came in, I was like the first specific uh, uh, tournament director was the first title that quickly changed the rules and competitions director. Uh, but even in that capacity, um, I was still a bit of a generalist. I was doing stuff in handicap, doing stuff with course rating, team play, um, a lot of the other activities that the SCGA does. Uh, so that was actually great for my background. I learned a lot about the industry itself. Um, one of the things I'll always remember in my interview, uh, the gentleman that interviewed me, Newell Pinch, uh, kind of a legend in, in the uh, regional golf world, um, he asked me right up front, he says, are you a good golfer? <laughs> And um, I thought, uh oh, and I said, well, not not really. I said, I know the game, but I said, I'm not really a good golfer. And he says, great. That's what we want. He says, we don't want somebody out there, you know, when you're on a golf course, practicing your game the whole time. It's like, OK, perfect. So it worked, it worked to my That's favor. Funny. So did you have to become steeped in the rules then and stuff to yes. do that? I mean, because that's a whole ecosystem in and of itself. Um, there's so much to the rules of golf. And of course, there's so many people who are, you know, real gurus, which I'm most certainly not. So you really had to dive into that stuff, right? Yeah, I, I, it was funny. I had a board member, you know, and I was a I was one of the younger guys on the staff at the time. Uh, I was 28 years old and a board member from uh, Los Angeles Country Club, Jim Duff, I'll never forget. He pulled me aside and he was a big proponent of the rules of golf. And he said, look, he said, you're in tournaments. He said, if you want to up your credibility right away, he said, you learn the rules of golf. 
And, and I took that to heart and I really did. And I, you know, I attended all the USGA PGA rule schools. Wow. Uh, I did pretty, pretty well on the tests and um, I really embraced it. And, and he was right. I mean, it really helped me a lot with uh, the volunteers, with the players, with the board, uh, with the colleagues. Um, and so I really did get to be fairly proficient in the rules of golf at one point. Great. And so you do, so that was your position initially, as you said, and I know, I think maybe it was about eight or nine years, nine years later, you became director of course rating. Um, and, or, and of course we have our mutual good buddy, Doug Sullivan, who sort of runs that for the SCGA now. And that I do dabble in a little bit, but it sounds like course rating back then wasn't quite what it's become, right? I mean, you kind of got people onto the system. It was a little more, how should I say, it wasn't quite as um, detailed uh, in terms of the the way it's done um, back then as it is now, right? Well, voodoo isn't too strong, is maybe perhaps too strong a word, but uh, it, it was in that neighborhood. Uh, yeah, I, um, uh, I inherited a position, and I will tell you in our defense, uh, we actually had people that were uh, the uh, early um, creators and adopters of uh, an obstacle rating kind of system. Uh, prior to that, it was mostly all yardage. And, and, and our people said, no, there's more to it. And, and they actually were involved with the USGA and coming up with the initial elements that led to obstacle you know, evaluation. Uh, and then Dean Knuth and, and some of the others on the handicap research team took it to the next level and, and brought in, you know, the slope system. In fact, Doug was back there when the, when the slope system, um, right. you know, he served under the Pope of slope. I often call him the Cardinal of slope. Uh, but he was, he was there early on. And, and so our team, because we'd had that early relationship in, in helping develop the, the first phases of that system, uh, I, I guess weren't ready to move over to the slope system as yet. Uh, when I got on board and I looked at it, and it was a pretty quick study, Larry, um, we needed to move over because right. there was just too much inconsistency uh, that I saw in the system. Plus, we wanted to do it like everybody else in the country. Right. Uh, so so we did, we did bring it over. Um, I was very fortunate to have a couple board members that really embraced it and took it on. Um, Mark Myers and, and um, Bob Osborne Sr. Yeah. Uh, those two, uh, Bob Osborne Sr. was was almost like a staff member for the SCJ. He was like the fifth Beatle. Um, he, uh, <laughs> he, he actually, uh, you know, he helped us really educate our, our uh, volunteers and get us all up to speed. Um, and so, you know, it, it, there was a there was a year or so that was a little bit rough in the transition but from there we hit the ground running and i was on the usga course rating uh, committee for a number of years um and the one thing i'll say about you know my roles at the scga every time somebody came after me whether it was in competitions or whether it was in course rating they took uh whatever we accomplished under my time and took it to a higher and better level and so whether it was Mark Dusbobic and, and um, Doug Sullivan in course rating or Jamie Conkling and Mike Sweeney and Jeff Nineman in, in competitions, all those people have taken uh, what we were able to do and, and make it that much better. Yeah, no, and it's a tremendous, tremendous staff for sure. So um, so you join in 84, director rules, I'm director of course rating 93, as you say, you're kind of a generalist doing a lot of stuff. And then Time goes by and you become assistant director in 2003. And then when Tom Morgan retires, you become director and two executive director in 2006. Um, so I want to talk a little bit uh, for people listening who may not appreciate kind of how the SCGA works a little bit. Um, and because I think a lot of folks, um, you know, particularly people who are at private clubs, you know, they're automatically, you know, become a member, they pay their money, they get their handicap, they they know that the SCGA runs championships, but um, there's obviously a lot more to it. But just to kind of get into it a little bit, um, maybe explain to folks kind of how from the member side, the SCGA works, what I'm getting at is in terms of being having to be part of clubs and kind of how that works. Because um, I'm not sure if the average person, um, even someone who may be a member themselves, realize how the club element fits into that. 
Oh, you're exactly right. And, I, and, and, and that's one of the things that we try to do is educate folks as to where we are. But, you know, again, uh, there is there is a little method to the madness. Uh, we um, we are what is referred to now as an allied golf association. Previous to that, we were considered a state and regional golf association. Uh, there are 59 of those now. Um, we work uh, in conjunction with the USGA. Uh because of the nature of the handicap system and some of the requirements that are involved in the handicap system, um, golf associations, including the USGA, are not actually comprised of individual members per se, but they're comprised of clubs. And then the clubs do the work with regard to the handicap system as far as the peer review and all those kind of things. So the clubs belong to us. The individuals belong to those clubs. And then de facto, they're members of the SCGA. Uh, and, and so um, that that's kind of the nature of, of how that all works. And I will tell you that we have a, a variety of clubs that belong to us. You have your traditional green grass, which includes public and private and military and resort. And then we have some that are comprised of groups of people that affiliate together for various reasons. It could be where they work. It could be a common interest. It could be a cultural background. It could be where they drink. I mean, it's, it's any number of different things. I mean, we have clubs, as an example, that are comprised of, of skateboarders, as you know, uh, L.A. firefighters. Uh, the Mickey Mouse Club is the uh, Disney workers. Right. Uh, just any number of different collectives that come together. And we actually have over 800 of those clubs. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, and us and Northern Cal Golf Association have the largest – um, population of those kinds of clubs in the country. And the USGA recognizes that those are very important as we move forward, as we try to bring different groups under the tent, um, the opportunity for them to have a collective of their own choosing uh, and be able to form a club as a result is very important and, 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 and could be critical in, in trying to bring some, you know, uh, broader and new groups into, into the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in terms of um, the services that SCGA provides, you know, as I was alluding to, I mean, people I think who know of the SCGA say, okay, well, I know I get my handicap from them. Um, I know they run some tournaments, but it's an awful lot more you guys do than that, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are the core. Um, uh, certainly the handicap touches everybody in our membership. Uh, tournaments, not as much, although they're the, the groups that do play in our events. And those events are individual. They're team events. They could be club supported. They could be a lot of different things. Um, those people are very engaged folks. Uh, we do a lot of club support, um, you know, in, in various ways. Uh, we, we actually help them with their membership development, but we also uh, give education, uh, provide technology, um, give them opportunities to, you know, learn best practices any number of different things there uh, with regard to clubs. Um, but then we also do quite a few other things, um, you know, uh, and, 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 I'll, and I'll mention as far as that, um, uh, the competitions, um, you know, we, I, we do hundreds of, of days of competitions. And, and some of that is also with regard to the USGA. We run 43 of their um, local and final qualifyings for their major championships. So we do that as well. Uh, but we do other things with regard to the USGA. We do a lot of support. We do support in the rules of golf, um, answer a lot of rules questions, do a lot of things, do rule seminars. Um, you've seen some of the things we've done online right. in trying to help people uh, learn the game uh, a little bit better. We support amateur status. Um, you know, uh, again, there's just a number of different things we do. Uh, we do a lot of communication support. Um, we, you know, every member gets for magazine. Uh, we also have for her an online uh, magazine for women. Uh, we do social media things. We do digital offerings. Um, you know, uh, there's just a lot of different things that we do. Uh, we also do things through some of our partners and sponsors. So there's outings, there's travel, um, there's special offers that we provide. Uh, so there's a, just a number of different things that, that we try to provide. Um, public affairs is something that, um, that we've done. Public affairs kind of came about as a result of a combination with the Public Links Golf Association of Southern California. 
when those two groups came together and, and public links did an outstanding job in their day of really working with uh, governments and, and different things in support of their clubs. Uh, Craig Kessler, who was their executive director at the time, had an unbelievable uh, knack at, at being able to do things in the world of advocacy. So when they came over, um, it was a natural that we would create that role for Craig. Um, he has since added uh, an individual. And, you know, they do any number of things to support golf. Uh, they work with, um, you know, a number of different issues that confront, you know, golf is faced with, whether it's water issues, environmental, land use, um, labor, taxation. There's just a number of things that they they deal with on a regular basis. We work with our allied partners. We don't do it in a vacuum, uh, but Craig is largely the, the 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 leader of that support team when we do that. And the allied partners could be uh, local, they could be regional, they are, and they're even national. Um, uh, there's a lot of people that we're in contact with in doing this, whether it's government, uh, um, you know, uh, regulatory agencies, uh, media uh, groups any number of different things there but it's it's really it's one of the more important things that we do as a golf association I have to be honest with you and it impacts everybody um uh, you know uh, water doesn't know the difference between public and private golf and, and right. Uh, uh, right. and 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 quite honestly um it doesn't just impact our members and our member clubs uh it impacts every golfer whether they're right. a member of the SCJ or not so that's 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 just a big thing that we do. Another thing that is an important element of what we do um, is our Junior Golf Foundation. Yes. And, 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 and the Junior Golf Foundation started in 1983. It was monies that came from uh, the PGA Championship that had been held in Riviera. Oh, Riviera, it, right. Yeah. yeah. And, it, it, and it was monies that the AAU that was involved in that uh, had left over and wanted to you know put back into the community. And so uh, we had a gentleman that was on our board at the time, and this guy was a mover and shaker. His name was John Argue. And in fact, his father was also a president of the SCJ. Oh, but wow. Argue, has got, Argue was kind of the guy that was behind the scenes in getting the 84 Olympics to L.A. Wow. Um, you know, he, he Uberoth was the guy in front of the camera. Uh, Argue was the guy behind the camera. Okay. And, and, we, and so we started a junior golf foundation as a result of that money. But we really didn't do a whole lot with it, to be honest with you. We um, uh, put it into some you know CIF championship and some rules of golf things, uh, support of some of the local junior golf uh, uh, associations, but not a whole lot. Uh, probably about... 15 years ago, maybe uh, our board looked at it and said, Hey, we're either going to, you know, fish or cut bait. Are we, are we going to do something here or, you know, or just let this go. And our board decided we wanted to do something and we kicked around what we wanted to do, whether we wanted it to be an all encompassing foundation or a very specific foundation. And we gravitated again, back to junior golf. And uh, we hired Kevin Gigax, uh, an outstanding young man. He had uh, worked as a USJ fellow at one time, up in Colorado, and then also worked with the first tee nationally. Um, and he came on, uh, and with the support of the foundation board and Kevin, and then his team eventually, and the and the SCJ board, they've built an unbelievable program that really impacts the lives of, of juniors, um, and not just teaching them to how you know how to play the game and hit you know hit a golf ball. But really having a positive influence on their lives, and and, and uh, the the main tenant of the foundation is positive youth development, and we work with some different national programming models, um, including you know Titleist TPI and some other things. Uh, but we go into the communities and we really go to places, and a lot of these places we're working with kids that are you know in, in underserved communities, communities that mm -hmm. have not really realized golf is, is an important part of their element. Um, and so we we do um, coaching and mentoring on the ground uh, at facilities in some of these areas. We actually hire a lot of the kids from those communities, which is a great relationship to that community. Um, we do scholarships, uh, scholarships, not only academic, but we've now expanded it into kids that want to play in competitions and their families may not be able to afford, you know, some of the uh, junior uh, tournaments that are out there. So we'll do some scholarships for those kids as well. Um, and, you know, we also have an access program, um, youth on course where, um, kids have the ability to play golf and hit range balls, 
for a dollar to five dollars at about 140 golf courses in our area. So, I mean, it's it, it, for me, it's some of the most impactful work that we do as a golf association. I'm very proud of that. Um, and the work that Kevin Gigax and his team do are exceptional. And I and I, I guess I want to put a little plug in here, too. Sure. They're doing they're doing a fundraiser right now um, right. in conjunction with the Los Angeles Country Club and the USGA. It's around the U.S. Open. And there's two elements to it. Uh, one is to revitalize the Maggie Hathaway golf course in kind of the uh, South L.A. area, um, uh, a golf course that really serves an important community. Um, and so they're going to try to get that thing up to a place where, you know, the kids can uh, and the whole community, but but the kids have a place to go and play. Um, and, and so that's one of the elements of it. And then the other is to provide opportunities for the SCGA Junior Golf Foundation to uh, raise more money to expand their programming into more communities in, in the Southland. So that's a very exciting uh, thing. And so uh, we're, we're hopeful that we can hit a home run there and really, you know, reach more kids in, in our community. Oh, for sure. It's, it's awesome. And um, I think it's a neat, the whole part, I mean, just as long as you raise it, the whole partnership, LACC, the, U, the USGA and the SCGA, and um, it'll be interesting, I mean, in terms of doing it this year here with the U.S. Open coming, whether this may be, becomes a model for the USGA to do in communities going forward that they visit with their, you know, major tournaments, obviously, particularly the U.S. Open. But you, you've hit on a really good point there. You know, um, the USGA has traditionally always been very good at between the ropes. They run unbelievable right. tournaments. They're great tournaments. But uh, and and they bring a lot of money, particularly for the opens. Uh, they bring a lot of money into the community, so that's very impactful. But they haven't always necessarily left a legacy in those communities. Now we've been fortunate with some of the other amateur events that have been here, working with Big Canyon, El Caballero, uh, San Diego Country Club, um, uh, I think Bel Air. Um, we've we've had some opportunities to do some fundraising for our junior programming uh, through those. Uh, but in this one, you know, the 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 the, the um, the U.S. Open is the 800-pound gorilla for the right, USGA, right, right. And, and 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 so they've never been able to leave a legacy in that community. You know, PGA Tour events always have, you know, whether sure. it's hospitals or whatever in those communities, and the USGA would like to be able to do this. So this is a little bit of a pilot model, and, and I credit the folks at LA Country Club because they're the ones that embrace this. They're the ones that called us up originally and said, hey, we think we should, you know, aside from just running this tournament, we think we should be doing something and, and leaving uh, uh, something for the community. And and so all, all kudos to them for understanding that and bringing us and the USGA uh, into the fold in trying to accomplish that. Absolutely. Um, and uh, maybe as long as we're talking about the USGA, maybe you could talk a little bit about the SCGA's relationship because it's a close one. Um, and, uh, you know, and I know, um, you know, a lot of elements to that. There's certainly folks flowing both directions uh, in terms <laughs> of personnel. There's a lot of, you know, start at the USGA, go to the SCGA, vice versa and stuff, but just generally maybe talk about i mean obviously the usga works with all the allied golf associations but the scga given its scope and everything it seems like there's a particularly special relationship between the scga and the usga and then that's important it's 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 hypercritical i have to tell you and, and i'm very proud that we have had this relationship with the usga i will say that we at one time i was given mike davis the previous ceo some grief saying that we were the triple a for the usga um you know we we have we have five employees i think it's five now uh that work there uh fran knee and and emily palmer oh, and right. uh, mike yeah. sweeney uh, julia pine jonathan co and 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 they're very important roles at the usga yeah. you know yeah. um and and we do to your point we do have three former usga folks with us uh right. you know uh kevin o'connor doug sullivan and um uh, kevin gigax all right. have uh come to us but um you know, beyond that, uh, we obviously do a lot of things, as I mentioned earlier, with regard to a lot of the the core activities, what the USGA refers to as governance. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've had that relationship for a long time. Uh, we've had a number of our staff members and our volunteers, board members on USGA committees and being very influential that way. 
but now the USGA is in a position where they are kind of uh, they're doing their own strategic plan. And uh, they have a, uh, based on their acronym, USGA, it's uh, Unify, let's make sure I get this right, Unify, <laughs> Showcase, Govern, and Advance. And and those are some of the things they want to do. And, and, and the USGA, and Mike Wan, I think, is really driving this to a large degree with his leadership team and the executive committee. They really want to be more involved in communities in in uh, in golf, and and in order to do that, because they're so large and USJ is a big, uh, US is a big country, obviously, they need help and they need local help, and and a lot of that local help would come from the Allied Golf Associations, of which we're one. Now, I will tell you, um, and this isn't to you know uh, be um, you know uh, to denigrate any of our colleagues, the golf associations, the AGAs, very. You know, we all do kind of the same thing, but they vary dramatically, largely because of size. Uh, we're fortunate. We have a large population base here. Uh, we have a lot of people, you know, almost 200,000 that belong to the SCJ. There's probably 50 percent of the AGAs in the country that have 20,000 or less members. Wow. And they have they have, you know, I think it was, I think I saw a statistic said 65 percent of the AGAs have four staff or left or less. Oh and, my! And, and, wow, that's yeah, and many <laughs> many of them are seasonal, and yeah. many of them are seasonal, and so when the season runs around, they've got a you know a lot of activity crammed in you know eight or nine months. Uh, they're out running tournaments, they're out running ratings, they're doing a lot of stuff. So a lot of the more ambitious programming that we're able to accomplish, they don't necessarily have the team to be able to do that, and and right. so. Um, I think the USGA is, uh, recognizes that, and as they try to get more into communities, and as they try to have partners in those communities, I think they're looking to have some stronger golf associations uh, that they can work with, and 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 actually try to make all golf associations stronger. Uh, there's actually a strategic plan that they're running specifically in combination with their big strategic plan, but this one's specifically geared towards the relationship between the USGA and the AGAs. Um, I've sat in on that group as well as some of our other team members, and we're looking at how do we how do we do it better? And with the with the end goal of, you know, which it should be, is how do we make golf better for the practitioner, for the player, for the club, for the facility, whatever it happens to be? Uh, that has to be what we use as our kind of North Star. And right. then what do we do to make changes to accommodate that? And so we're involved in that. And I know because of our past and our ability and, and, and some of our capabilities with the with the, uh, the Golf Association, the USGA is looking to us as being a leader in that capability of, of trying to maybe do some pilot programs, do some different things. Uh, so we're, we're very much involved with that. Um, you know, and, and the USGA has been very important to us. They have a program called the PGA Boatwright internship program where they bring young men and women into uh, golf that might have an interest in being in golf administration. And I can tell you, we probably have seven or eight past PGA Boatwright um, members on our team. Uh, a lot of the ones that identified that went back to the USGA, Emily and Fran and and, and uh, Mike Sweeney, a couple of those, uh, they were all PGA Boatwright interns. Um, and I think now, uh, there's going to be a strong look to how do we broaden that community too. Uh, so not just, you know, uh, men and women, but people of color, people from different backgrounds, people that, again, the game hasn't always touched. How do we bring them into the fold and make them, you know, invite them and make them feel welcome? Um, that's true, not just on the PGA Boatwright intern level, but in golf in general. And, and how do we do a better job of that? And, and I think that's all part of what we're trying to do. That's the you and Unify, by the way, <laughs> among many things. But uh, so so what is it that we we have that opportunity to do? Right, right. And, and you know, it's funny, you touched on a lot of great things here. I mean, I think with the USGA current leadership, um, you know, we had Fred Purple on a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, he speaks very eloquently about that aspect of golf and connecting people and, you know, and, and, and going beyond the historical, you know, communities that, uh, you know, have been in the game and, and, and Mike Juan is, and, and, as you know, I mean, is so energetic, uh, about <laughs> all this stuff. And so, um, uh, I, I can sort of see the USGA really, it's a big organization. It's always hard to sort of 
you know, turn the turn the uh, aircraft carrier a little bit when you're, you know, trying to go mission. But those guys seem like they're really great leadership for the USGA to do some of the things you're alluding to. Absolutely. I mean, I and again, I think that's that's one of the, you know, I, I think there's been cultural changes in golf, uh, starting with the USGA and the PGA and some other groups. Uh, certainly at our level, uh, there's been changes, but you have to look at it. I mean, golf is always to some degree a niche sport. I mean, you know, not everybody is going to play golf, uh, but I think there are opportunities for more people to enjoy the game. The pandemic certainly showed that. Uh, to come to the game. It's an outdoor activity. Um, you don't have to play with somebody of the same skill set. Uh, you know, my dad played into his late 80s. Uh, some people play beyond that. Um, men, women, you can play with your family. There's just so many positive elements. Plus, there's a lot of things that golf can teach you as a, as a, as a youngster Absolutely. Or, or or even as an adult, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's there's so many upsides to golf. Um, and good for health, you know, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, well, it depends on how you play it. If you play it as, uh, you know, erratically as I do, you can get a seven mile hike out of a, out of a, a round of golf. A good player probably is closer to five, five and a half, but, uh, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of things there that I think it should be shared with more communities. Cause I think more would take the game on given that opportunity. Um, and then I will tell you also when you are, you know, this goes back to when Craig's in talking with, you know, uh, governments or regulatory agencies or whatever, if you can show that golf is more a game of the people, as opposed to right. what sometimes the impression of golf is, is, you know, a lot of well-to-do folks that, you know, belong to private clubs and not anything wrong with that. That's an important part of golf, but, but it, that's not just golf golf. I mean, the, the, the biggest growth um, you know, uh, span in golf is going to come through uh, public golf. And, and that that's that's where we're going to get our next golfers. That's even where the next generation of private golfers come from is right. usually through the, the public portal. So public golf is important. And that public golf course has to look like the community it served. And I'm proud to say when you go to a Griffith Park or Brookside or someplace, Many languages are spoken. Many yeah. cultures are there. Men, women, many ages are there. Uh, they they serve the needs of those communities, and golf has to continue to you know make that flourish. Absolutely, and I want to actually it, listening to that. I'm sort of thinking of even beyond public courses. Get your thought on some of the um, uh, vehicles that have sprung up over the last ten years for people to get into the game outside of the golf course i'm thinking of the top yeah. golfs of the world yeah. and five irons and stuff i mean that's um i know you know i actually had my first experience at top golf uh with our meeting out there a few months ago and i thought and i'd never been i thought it was a blast and i could see how crowded it was how popular it was i'm curious what you think about the role that those types of um oh i guess i'll call it non-traditional facilities you know play not just for people to have fun but you know as a way a non-intimidating way for people to get introduced to the game because i think a lot of people you know can find it a bit intimidating to get up there and you're going to hit a ball and all these people on a golf course and stuff but that's such a relaxed and fun environment and it and it seems so popular and you know maybe a way to sort of introduce people to golf that wouldn't otherwise be um be in the game well, on on the positive side, golf has always been a social game, and, and and that's a critical element to the success of golf. I will tell you, pre-pandemic, when we were seeing some, you know, a little bit of attrition in golf, the things that were at play there were, you know, it's it's a difficult game. It's not easy to, you know, you know, uh, pick up a golf club to your point and and just you know get very you know confident with it. Um, it takes time. Yes, uh, time it, too. It, right. it is. It is a bit of a time game, and and, and it costs money. Uh, but I think what we found in these top golf scenarios is, uh, and others, uh, is that it can be a fun game, a social game, and it doesn't have to. You don't. Golf is not a game of perfect. And but if you can go <laughs> up and have fun, uh, you know, it's 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 a little bit like top golf's a little bit like a sports bar slash video game. Right. And 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 so people can go. I, I mean, I've been to top golf and I've seen young women hit balls in high heels, which I am very impressed with, by the way. <laughs> if you can hit a golf ball in high heels, you are right. you're you're pretty good. Uh, but you know, uh 
uh, I think those things are a great way to introduce people to the game. Some of those people may start there and go on to the game. Some may not, but at least they have an appreciation for the game. It's not this kind of weird thing that they don't know about. And they just, you know, it's, 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 it's something that they have a touch point with. Um, and it, and it, and it is a very positive element. Plus I think, it's forcing, you know, mainstream golf to think a little bit differently, right. how to make golf a little bit more fun, a little bit less stodgy. You know, you hear music on golf courses now. Yeah. You yeah. never heard that before. For the sure. dress code's a, a little bit different than it always used to be. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not necessarily banning phones everywhere. People, you know, live with their phones. So I think it's great to be able to have four, four hours away from a phone. But But some people, they can't do that. But, you know. This is an opportunity to kind of meld some of that in there. Plus, I think golf is looking at it through the lens of it doesn't have to be 18 holes. It right. could be nine holes or three holes or six holes. So the time element's important too. But I think that transition that between, you know, fun kind of, you know, uh, entertainment golf to regular golf, maybe as time goes on, that'll blur a little bit. And, and so there will be some opportunities there for those to happen because I think people will also come to top golf, not just for, you know, the eight o'clock and after in the evening kind of thing, there'll be opportunities there uh, for people to come during the day if they just want to practice golf. And, and certainly the other element is the technology component to it. Right. Um, you know, tech is so important now to golf. Um, even though people think it's this kind of old fashioned, tried to traditional game, um, you know, you go get fit for clubs they put you on machines and you don't have to be an expert golfer. You can be a 22 and handicap and, and they can figure out a set of clubs that work for you. Um, and there's so many elements, you know, with GPS and there's, there's so much that's coming into the game. And that's important for golf because if golf is going to serve this next generation of, of, you know, potential players, they have to see things that are similar to their lifestyle in other areas. Yeah. So, you know, those kind of things are important. The ability to post a score on your phone or see your stats or, or you know, figure out how far you got to hit the shot into a green, um, get your clubs. You know, all these elements are so important for the next generation to say, yeah, this is kind of a cool game. It's a fun game. It's something that I want to embrace. Uh, so, you know, golf, golf is getting there. It, 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 it still needs a, it's a ways to go, but it's but it, but I think it's understanding that. Um, and I do think the other element, too, that's important, going back to, you know, the USGA, golf forever has been kind of this situation where everybody's been in their own lane and and that's fine, but it's also not always productive. Uh, there needs to be more collaboration amongst all the leadership in golf at all levels. Um, and I think that's, again, what we're trying to, you know, address It's like, how do we do things with the PGA section? How do we do things with, uh, the USGA or our fellow AGAs, all those kind of things. Those things are going to be very important as we move forward. For sure. And, and I mean, just, you know, to your point, I mean, just thinking back what, what's happened here in Southern California, I mean, you touched on it earlier. I mean, you, it, it's fun to think, funny, interesting to think back. I mean, you had all these different organizations occupying the same geographical space. You had Public Links Golf Association. You had the Women's Southern California Golf Association. So you've brought all those, I think, during your tenure under the SCGA umbrella and um, lots of value from that. Uh, you mentioned Craig Kessler, who we had on a few months ago. Uh, he's, he's a tremendous asset in and of himself. Uh, but, um, you know, kind of bringing those things together um and a lot of benefits um from those mergers as well right yeah i mean you know there were actually six golf associations at one time and actually a seventh wow. oh i yeah, didn't know that were, wow oh yeah yeah no there was the public links there was the women's public links there's the wscga there's the women's san diego uh there was the desert women and then there was another group called um waga uh, and they all existed out there. Uh, it was very confusing to the marketplace, um, particularly for women's golf, because five of those were women. Uh, and and so, you know, it just really depended on a lot of things, why you would join one association as opposed to another. It, it wasn't healthy for golf um, because of the... Uh, the the size of all those other ones, which were much smaller, they weren't able to provide 
as many services as they probably should and wanted to. Uh, so by all of us coming under one roof, we created an opportunity to um, provide services to an expanded group of services to a wider group of uh, golfers. And, and so that was really important. Um, plus, I will tell you this, and, and, and this is the part, you know, you can look at the sheer numbers, you know, obviously, when we had all those folks come under our umbrella, we got larger, which is good, more revenue, more things we can put back into programming, all that thing was born. But the other element that I will tell you that is probably a little bit hidden is as we brought those groups in, we learned from those groups and what they yeah. did well. And, and so culturally, it changed the golf association and our mindset. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, the public links was really close to its clubs and, and they were, you know, mostly municipally based golf uh, clubs in the, the L.A. Ventura area. That was probably their their wheelhouse. But they really did a lot of, you know, good work with those clubs and listening. And that's what we learned when they came over. You know, you you need to listen to these folks more than tell. And, and, and so in listening to them. We learned how we and what their needs were and how we can change things and, and put resources towards things that were important to people. So that was very important to us when, when all those came uh, to the SCGI. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I, I just want to swing back to one thing with, you know, if I'm, if I'm out there and, you know, I've gotten my feet wet with Top Golf, say, and I've heard about this SCGA and I want to sort of see how I can be part of it. We talked about how it's, you know, made up of clubs, but those aren't just green grass, you know, clubs. It's broader than that. Um, can I, how do I sort of find, if I say, hey, you know, I want to find a group that I can sort of fit in with, right? I mean, I can go to the site, right? And there's a way to facilitate me sort of saying, well, this group looks good or something, right? I can sort of, there, there are resources for me to bet part of that, right? Absolutely. And and again, this goes back to technology and understanding needs, um, you know, all go, all clubs aren't for all people and 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 so it could be geographic it could be age it could be gender it could be you know uh what their interests are maybe one's more tournament based and one is more socially based some like to travel Wh whatever it is those opportunities exist out there but to your point how do i know who do right. you know? we have over <laughs> 1500 clubs how do i know uh, right. Well, you know, our, our development team, and again, this is one of the things that, you know, uh, probably about 10 years old, maybe now, um, we actually have a team that tries to bring people into the fold and bring and, and point people to clubs. Uh, so we, you can go online and there's a club finder and you can actually figure out what your cool. needs are. Some needs are, are more than others. Some just basically want a handicap. So there is an internet-based club, which kind of provides that opportunity. And now we do that through the USGA. You can actually go online at the USGA, put in your zip code, and they'll shoot them to you, to us. And they'll, they'll be in the USGA AGA club. And then over time, they may say, hey, I want to join this club in this area because it has these things that I'm looking for and meeting right. people and whatever it happens to be. But yeah, there's a club finder. So you plug in what are your key elements you're looking for and then how wide you're willing to go on your geography. And then we'll point you to those clubs. And, and then you can decide whether that's the, the club you want. And it could, could include price point too, because the SCGA charges a standard fee for our services but the club you belong to has their fee. So sure. some charge more than others. And, and, and so it depends on whether you're price conscious or whatever you're looking for. But there, there are just a lot of opportunities. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting, Larry, we've done studies and we've done surveys of people. And um, we've surveyed people that, you know, are regular golfers, not the once a year at a you know club uh, company outing kind of folks. But right. the people that play golf on a regular basis – and we we asked them, you know, um, what would get you to play more golf? And, you know, two things come up quite regularly. One is if I could play the game better. So that gives us and the PGA section some insight as to we should be able to find a way to have people learn the game in a, in a fashion that's comfortable for them on their schedule and their price point, whatever. That's one. The other is if I had more people to play with. And so – we should be able to figure out ways and through the club structure, figure out ways for people to meet people and have that opportunity. And I, I use the example because when we own the when I was Tom's assistant, when I was the assistant yeah. executive director, 
a large part of my role was working with the golf course that we owned at the time. Right. And I learned a lot about the industry uh, in doing that. Um, but I learned that when you have a twilight time and if somebody's running there, you know, from work, throwing their shoes on in the parking lot, jumping on the first tee, playing as many holes as they can and then going home to dinner, which is great. I mean, we're, we love having them out there. But if you have a league, as an example, and and now they come, they're hitting balls, they're getting a cart, they're, you know, maybe having a, a hot dog or a beer afterwards or whatever. Um, and, 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 you know, the, if it's Wednesday morning and I'm sitting there thinking, am I going to go out and hit some balls at twilight? Nah, I got some more work to do. But if I got a league, I'm going. Right. And, and, and so, right. so, you know, it's how do we keep this level of engagement up so that people want to continue to play the game, be at the course, play with their friends, play with their family, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, no, that 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 makes great sense. So let me kind of round up things and give you get give you some perspective questions. I mean, over, looking back, you know, over your tremendous career um, uh, at uh, the SCGA, kind of what do you view? Uh, and I know this is not an easy question to answer, but what, what do you kind of use your most significant accomplishments as you look back now as you're retiring? And um, what would you put as on that list? Well, I, I will tell you, first of all, it's it's nothing that I accomplished. It's what we accomplished. And whether it's with this, with our team and, and with our board and with our foundation and, and our allied partners, um, I've been the, uh, the beneficiary of being able to work with just... <laughs> Uh, a plethora of, of outstanding humans uh, that have that have you know been able to allow the SCGA to do a lot of things very well over time, um, you know, and, and that starts with people and, and getting the right people on board. I've, I'm I'm pleased to say that in some of my hirings I did okay. Uh, I I brought some really outstanding outstanding talent in. But, you know, we've really expanded our offerings. Uh, you mentioned the, you know, bringing the, the, all the golf associations together. I think that's obviously one of the, one of the big things. Uh, and then what we learned from that and, and how we were changing our, our way we operated and how we did things with, with our members. But, you know, um, I would say that, uh, the public affairs thing, obviously, we're the only golf association in the country that has a public affairs, a public affairs staff, uh, wow. on yeah. board. Um, and, wow. uh, yeah, we're the only ones. I, I'm um, actually just to pause on that. That is kind of amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you, you think about all the challenges now I'll say California is usually where challenges start, right? But, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, that said, um, the, the, the issues in, 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 you know, if you've had any experience in working with, you know, say a, an assembly bill or a Senate bill or something, right. You recognize if it gets to a certain level and it's a it's a written bill and now it's just kind of going yeah. through the different yeah. you know motions, you're done. You're you, too you, late. You're way too there's late. There's nothing right. you can do. Yeah. Right. So golf has historically uh, been a reactive industry. And and maybe there was a time when you could get away with that. We cannot get away with that now. We have to be proactive right. and we have to understand that if we get involved with something, even at the right time, it's not going to always go our way. But are there soft landings? Are there relationships that we can build right. in the process? Are there things right. that we can use now that might have some benefit down the road? And and so, like I said, we're the only Craig's the go-to guy. He gets calls from you know Europe, from you know the wow. Washington Post. Yeah. Yeah. He's been flown <laughs> to speak on the Golf Channel. I mean, it's amazing. And then Kevin Fitzgerald is learning underneath him. Uh, you know, it's, it's the positive impact that we're able to do. He he was able to actually convince the USGA that they need to be in advocacy at a higher level. They always kind of shied away from it a little bit, and now they're on board. And and so it's you know, and he works uh, with the PGA of America. He works with just a lot of different entities. It's it's gotten us closer to our allied partners because they don't have the resources to do this stuff, but they can work in conjunction with us on this pro on these projects. It's got us uh, uh, much better in tune with, you know, uh, municipal government systems, uh, our, our local communities, all those things. And the same is true, I would say, with our foundation. Our foundation has gotten us into communities uh, where we are now uh, a better presence or a more positive presence. Uh, and certainly it's it's addressing the next generation of golfers. So uh, what's been happening with the foundation and where that's going, uh, I'm really proud of that and, and the people that we have there and, and, and the vision that they have and what they're trying to do 
all those things are important. But I also tell you, you know, those two are kind of exceptional. Not every golf association, most golf associations don't have those things. But even our core activities, what we're doing there is, is you know, incredible. We have the, you know, um, Kevin O'Connor, Doug Sullivan, Jeff Nineman, Evan, all, all these people, Jeremy, all these people that are on our team, Frank, all, they all have the skill sets that other golf associations point to as kind of the gold standard and, and what we're able to offer, you know, uh, our golfers. We were the early ones on in allowing people to join and renew online. Um, that came through us developing that software with, you know, uh, a company. Um, we've always embraced, you know, anything that we can, you know, do in a positive way from a technology standpoint. And I, and I will say one of the things I'm proud of too, is we're, we weren't afraid to make mistakes <laughs> and, and we made some, um, but we had a culture that allowed us, you know, to say, okay, what do we learn from that? Let's go. Um, I'm proud of the fact that our board has um, continued to evolve. We've always had, from the first day I started, exceptional board people, um, really uh, with an interest in, in golf in, in the SCGA. But now our board is more reflective of the community that we serve. Absolutely. And, and that's positive. And that's yeah. a positive thing. We have people with a background in water. We have people with a background in, in municipal golf. We have people with backgrounds in, in any number of different things. Um, aside from, you know, uh, obviously legal and, and, and financial is important as well. Um, but there's just a number of different diverse backgrounds that come together um, that, that comprise our board that allows us to see things, I think, in the proper light. Um, so yeah. that's that's been very important. Yeah, no, that's all well said. It is an awesome team you have. That is for sure. You ticked off a lot of them. Let me get you out of here on this. So having looked back, let, let me look forward at, uh, as kind of as we wrap up. How do you, I mean, you're so uniquely situated with your vast experience, I think, to give us some thoughts on this. How do you sort of see the future of not just the SCGA, but allied golf associations going forward? Well, you know, as as we've kind of alluded to in, in our chat here today, um, there's going to be some real opportunities and there's going to be some real challenges. and and Golf associations have to be um, positioned to um, take advantage of those opportunities, but also uh, anticipate the challenges and, and know what to do. Uh, most golf associations aren't going to be able to do that on their own. Um, there, there's going to need to be a broader network of people working together, collaborating, um, ensuring that we are doing the right things that is going to continue to make the game healthy, to, to meet the needs of, of golfers, the clubs, the facilities, all the people that are associated with the game. Uh, so I, I, I think there will be some changes. I, I think if you looked at it, and again, going back to those stats I, I referred to earlier, uh, if you were drawing this up again, you would not have 59 golf associations. Right, right. So, you know, yeah. uh, you would have probably a dozen, maybe. Um, but there's a lot of history in, in these golf associations now. So just forcing consolidation probably isn't the answer. Um, maybe over time, there'll be some more of that. Um, but I think even without having to force consolidation, you can certainly try to encourage collaboration um, you know, confederation, whatever you want to call it, uh, so that some of the smaller golf associations might have the advantage of working with larger ones and and being able to, you know, build out some of their technology components, their communications and marketing components, uh, some of those items um, and, and, and up their skill game. So I think that is really uh, going to be important. I think the USGA recognizes that. Um, and I think they know that need uh, exists. That's actually what we're talking about in this strategic planning exercise we're having with them. Uh, so I, I, I see that as happening. Um, and, and again, I think, you know, take the SCGA as an example. We have one membership. I mean, you belong to your club and you belong to the SCGA. Mm -hmm. Are there opportunities for uh, a diversity of membership? For some people that may want might just want a, an entry level social membership. Some might want, you know, our standard membership. Some might want, you know, a platinum membership, uh, membership where they have more things available to them. Um, I think if you can create these networks of people. So now rather than representing 
uh, 200,000 golfers, you represent a half a million golfers. You can now go out to sponsors and partners and create things that maybe will be uh, of interest to a broader swath of of golfers. Um, I think you can tie into the top golfs of the world and figure out what those look like or tie into the PGA section and figure out ways that people can learn the game and enjoy the game uh, more regularly. Um, so I, I think there's just any number of different things that uh, we can do as, as golf associations. Um, and, and, you know, again, stay on top of what the marketplace needs um, and be able to provide those and, and make sure that we have the appropriate resources uh, that allows us to, you know, address those opportunities when they when they arise. That's fantastic. Kevin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been great as I knew it would be. Um, and um, again, congratulations on just a stellar career. And uh, I've, um, uh, I wish you the very best uh, in retirement. Uh, you've certainly earned it, that's for sure. Uh, so um Enjoy it, and I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thank you, Larry. I really appreciate it. And uh, maybe now I'll get to play a little golf. Absolutely. Love for sure. Take care.